These are the words of Jesus, red letter. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Notice what he says, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice what he says. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Have you ever asked yourselves, what is the purpose, what is the meaning of your life? What is the purpose, what is the meaning of your life? Now, if we go by what our culture is telling us these days about what the purpose or meaning of your life, it's to find out who your true self is. And the only way that you find out who your true and authentic self is, is if you look internally. At one point in history, people would look to things outside of themselves for purpose and meaning. They would look to religion. Some might look to government or politics. Others at different points would look to their work. Some of us still struggle with that, looking for our meaning or our purpose in the things that we do. But more recently in history, people have looked for their meaning and purpose by looking internally. Psychologically speaking, who am I? What is going on beneath the surface. And as time has gone on, culturally, people have tried to remove any sort of oppressive beliefs or anything that would tell you you can't be who that authentic person is inside of yourself. The ultimate meaning and purpose of your life is to find who your true self is and to be as true to that self as you can possibly be, to pursue the inner things that give you pleasure. Now, I believe that the scriptures, and specifically in John 15, communicate to us what is the purpose of our lives. And as we've been studying all summer long, certainly it is to have a relationship with Jesus, but as it relates to pleasure, the scriptures today help us understand where true pleasure can be found, ultimately where true joy can be found. If you have your Bibles, we're going to answer that question today. Look at with me At verse 8, this is what Jesus said. We've already read it, but to highlight it for us, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus here in verse 8 provides for us the purpose of our lives, and herein is the purpose of our lives. Notice what he says, by this my Father is glorified. So what is the purpose of our lives? The glory of God, the glorification of God, the pointing to, the celebration of God, not of ourselves. 
Let's look at some scriptures that indicate this for us. They'll be on the screen. Psalm 86, verse 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before who? Not you and me, before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Or how about Habakkuk 2, verse 14? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Speaking of a future day, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or how about Romans 8, verse 36? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What about historic Christianity? What has historic Christianity told us of the purpose and meaning of our lives? Well, how about the Nicene Creed? It says this, And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is what? Both worshipped and glorified. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be worshipped and glorified. How about the Lucan Covenant? We affirm our belief in one eternal God, creator and Lord of the world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who governs all things according to the purpose of his will. He has been calling out from the world a people for himself and then sending his people back into the world to be his servants and his witnesses for the extension of his kingdom, the building up of Christ's body, and what? The glory of whose name? His name. Or how about the Westminster Catechism? You're maybe familiar with this. What is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Or how about the New City Catechism? Maybe you're familiar with this. How and why has God created us? What is the purpose of our creation? The answer, God created us, male and female, in his own image, to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Andre and I have been going through the New City Catechism, the version for kids, and they ask this exact question, but they shorten it. How and why has God created us? God created us male and female in his image to glorify him. The purpose and end. The meaning of our lives is to bring God pleasure through the glorification of his name. So if that's the purpose, if that's the meaning of our lives, how do we go about doing that? Let's go back to verse 8. By this my Father is glorified. By what? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now in the event that you haven't been following along, what is fruit? In the scriptures, we've seen it's our character. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You can go along. That our character is grown. We talked about it's our increasing surrender and trust in Jesus. And then we said it's also the wake of our discipleship. What are the people around us? What do they say of Jesus as they are in relationship with us? Do we point to ourselves or do we point to him? And then the... Next question is, well, then how do we bear fruit? If this is what fruit is, how do we bear it? And it's what we've been exploring in this series, pruning. They got prunes. 
He cuts away the things in our life that will allow us to then have the opportunity of bearing more fruit. We understand, we experience his presence, and then we trust his promises. And so simply by living in relationship with Jesus, we glorify his name. We bring glory to God. We live out the purpose and meaning of our lives when we live in relationship with Jesus. And so to summarize, through the growth of our character, attachment to Jesus and bearing fruit, therefore proving to be his disciples, the Father is glorified. The scriptures put it this way as an example of discipleship, of what this looks like. Isaiah 60 verse 21 Your people shall all be righteous, right standing with God, pursuing justice. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that what? That I might be glorified. How about John 30, verse 30? He must increase, but I must decrease. Think that over your life. He must increase, I must decrease. The purpose of my life is that he would be glorified and that I would decrease. Romans 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Paul to the Roman church, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is what? Your spiritual worship. Or 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God even with your body. So to summarize, the purpose and meaning of our lives is ultimately to glorify God, which ultimately brings him pleasure. And if we want to know how the story ends, if we look to Revelation 4, notice that every position of person of power and authority is not bowing, or people are not bowing to them. Who are they bowing before? The Lamb, to Jesus This is the end, and if that is the end, therefore that ought to be also our desire, our purpose, our meaning, to lift him up, let him increase, and then at the same time may I decrease. I remember uh, early on, I think it was before I was a full-time pastor, and um, I heard a pastor talk about how when someone would come up to him and, you know, sort of say, wow, pastor, that was just a fantastic message, Uh, he would oftentimes say back, all praise be to God. And he said at times, he he said it would confuse or frustrate the people that would say to him, because they were like, I'm just trying to give you a compliment, just receive it. But he said for himself, he had to make sure that upon immediately hearing this compliment, he immediately pointed to Jesus. That thank you for the encouragement, but it's not about me, it's all about him. And so I have been used that God might be glorified through the gifts that he's given me, through the work of the Spirit in my life. May it go to him and may it not go to me. May the platform not be mine, but may it be his. So this is one of the pleasures that this passage speaks about, the glory of God bringing pleasure to him. But did you also hear what the Westminster Short Catechism also said is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God, and then secondly, and to enjoy him forever. And John 14, John 15, Jesus gets at this. Look with me at verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, 
and then that your joy may be full. Now, I want you to think about this. Jesus could have just ended it with, uh, it is solely the glory of me, which it is. But then he also says, but at the same time, I'm telling you these things. I'm inviting to you to into this relationship with me so that you would experience my joy. And that your joy, the pleasure that you experience, would also be full. God doesn't have to do that. Yet he gives it to us as a gift. Experience my joy. May it be in you. Now, I'm not sure what your theology of joy is, or joy as a requirement in the lives of disciples of Jesus, but here are three points. We don't have time to go into a full breakdown of complete joy in the scriptures, but here's what joy is in the scriptures, three high-level points. Number one, it's not something that can be mustered in and of ourselves. It's not something that we can muster in and of ourselves. It comes from the outside of us, from Jesus by the Spirit. And in the scriptures, it's often described as the joy of the Lord. It means, this is what joy means, it's different than happiness. You know, you and I know at times what it means to make ourselves happy. I could go to Lady, Lady Glaze right next door and I would have an immediate happiness. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about if you've had their donuts. But joy, the joy of the Lord, is not something that can be mustered in and of itself. It transcends circumstances. What this means is that regardless of circumstances, this joy of the Lord is present. And then thirdly, in the scriptures, it's commanded of disciples of Jesus. Joy in the scriptures, four followers of Jesus. Again, it's not something that's suggested. God actually commands it of his followers. Let's look at the Old Testament, kind of backing up these three points. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. The next words are this, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not be grieved, regardless of circumstance, the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. How about the New Testament? Galatians 5 verse 22, fruit of the Spirit, love joy. The Spirit's presence in our lives leads to the byproduct of the character of the Spirit within us, and which is one of them? Joy. Romans 14, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Philippians 3, verse 1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Philippians 4, verse 4. Listen to this one. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There we go. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. Sorry if you don't know that one. Uh, James 1, 2 to 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice sometimes. No, rejoice always. 1 Peter 1 verse 8, though you have not seen him, speaking of Christ, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How about experiences in the scriptures surrounding Jesus that brought joy? How about Jesus' arrival? Luke 1, verse 44. 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for sadness, joy. Luke 2 verse 10, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. How about Acts, the apostles arrested and freed, Acts 5, 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor in the name. Acts 13, 50 to 52, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. These are the circumstances. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples, get this, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How about Paul and Silas in prison? Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Or how about Jesus on the cross? Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Do you remember the words? Who for what? The joy that was set before him endured this cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. To summarize, the joy Jesus mentions in John 15 verse 11 comes from knowing God, abiding in Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. I like this quote. I don't know the author. The joy of the Lord may be inexplicable to the one who does not possess it, but for the believer in Christ, the joy of the Lord comes as naturally as grapes on a vine. As we abide in Christ, the true vine, we the branches are full of his strength and vitality, and the fruit that we produce, including joy, is his doing. Now you might say, okay, okay, what's the big deal with joy? This is what Jim Wilder in his book, Renovated, writes. Joy is the energy that builds strong attachment love. A couple of weeks ago, I said that I've subbed out the word abide in my understanding of the text to be attachment, the way that a child attaches to their parents. So joy is the energy that builds strong attachment love. Joy means I am glad to be with you. In fact, most marriages come apart because partners lose the energy of attachment joy and form new attachments with someone who gives them joy. Even prominent church leaders who are low on joy can fall scandalously when they encounter someone whose eyes say, you are special to me. Despite the truth these preachers have preached and the choices they know are right, the power of an illicit joy builds an illicit attachment that costs them everything. Reflecting today, how is your joy barometer? How is your joy in the Lord doing? John 16, verse 24, by God's grace, this is what Jesus tells us. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, what? That your joy may be full. Jesus invites us 
to ask for such a thing as joy. If we go back to the definition of joy is the energy that builds strong attachment love, joy means I am glad to be with you, you can ask God that you would be glad to be with him. Have you asked somebody in your life something like that recently? Think about how they might respond. Could you please make me want to be with you more? Change your behavior in such a way that I would want to spend more time with you. Give me joy. That would come off as quite demanding, I'd imagine. Yet what does God tell us? Ask me for joy. You've asked nothing in my name. Ask. Even other things. Ask and you will receive so that what your joy, your joy in him, the attachment to him would grow and that it would be full. And so here in this text this summer, we've seen four characteristics of what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. Pruning, presence, promises, pleasure, joy. That God would be glorified, that he would take pleasure in our abiding relationship with him. But then also that we would experience his joy. For those of you that follow and appreciate the ministry of John Piper, maybe his quote has been going through your head. What does he say? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When we experience his joy. When his joy is in us. When it is not lacking. You know, my prayer for our church family is that we would go forward understanding relationship with Jesus and that we would be a community that has inexpressible joy. What do you have to be joyful about? The joy of the Lord. It's my strength. But what about the pandemic? What about all these things that we're seeing around us? Why do you have joy? Why are you so joyful? I couldn't have done it myself. I can't muster this joy in and of myself. It's from somewhere else. How about you? But I struggle sometimes with this. But may our joy be full, brothers and sisters, as we are pruned, as we experience Jesus' presence, and as we trust his promises, and then as he promises to bear his fruit in us. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the joy that you provide. I thank you that it is a fruit of your Spirit's presence in us. I thank you that we don't have to leave here and repeat joy a thousand times trying to muster it in and of ourselves. It is something that you give us. It's something that you provide to us when we ask. God, I thank you for this reality of this pleasure of glory to you but also the pleasure experienced in us, Lord Jesus, through joy. We love you. Amen.